3: Are the crypto bulls ready to charge? Hi everyone, welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Imran Laka, founder of Options Insight, and my colleague Ash Bennington is stopping by as well. Hi, gentlemen.
1: Hey, Maggie. Good Maggie. to see you.
3: Good to see you both. So we're going to talk tech earnings. We've got some big ones coming out after the bell. Some of the market dynamics that are happening under the hood, as well as Nat Gas. But we had to start with Bitcoin and what's happening in crypto because we've been seeing some. Huge moves, Ash. Just fill us in on what's going on here,
2: Maggie. We got some price action. Bitcoin currently trading at 33,800, it had ridden up as high as nearly 35,000. It's been a big year for Bitcoin. Year to date, we're up about on the year, up almost 30% on the month. Yesterday, we had a breakout up 11% in 24 hours. Uh, This was on some positive positioning in the derivatives market, uh, and moreover, on the expectation of an approval for a spot Bitcoin ETF. Here's what happened, and especially what happened today. We're down about 3%. Why? Well, yesterday, there was speculation that Bitcoin's proposed spot BTC ETF from BlackRock was going to be approved. Why? There was an approval, uh, an appearance, I should say, on DTCC's website. This is Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation. For folks who are in U.S. equity markets, you know they clear something over 80% of U.S. equities. The expectation was that it was a done deal. That got pulled off today, uh, hence the 3% sell-off. I know this stuff gets really wonky and really confusing, but we've got a lot of price action, a lot of news flow in the space, Maggie
3: yeah I I think when it comes to the regulation, that's not so confusing because everyone's kind of been looking at that but um you know uh, unbelievable that we've seen that kind of move that that's a big move thirty percent in in one month and i if I'm not mistaken, I think it's the best performing asset across the board this year And um, we know it was one of Raoul's picks earlier but um let let's take let's sort of separate this because there mm-hmm. is that regulatory story, which has fits and starts, as you just explained. But there is this feeling that the momentum is moving in that direction. But I I, I sense that we think that there's a lot going on um, when it comes to some of the stuff you're watching, Imran. So kind of fill us in on how much you think that had to do with some of this price action and what we need to understand about what's happening there. By the way, somebody, I've got to check this, but um, Our community is so smart and just on it. Oliver is saying Microsoft beat the high estimate, so the stock is up. So we're gonna we're gonna catch up with all that. Don't you guys worry? But um, let's talk about what you're seeing with Bitcoin, Imran. What's happening from your vantage
1: point? Sure. So obviously, I'm all over the crypto bull market and seeing what's going on in options. And um, you know, it's been pretty sleepy for a while. The crypto bull market. We we reached implied vol levels in the 30s. Ethereum just couldn't move. It was realizing in the 20s and. And Bitcoin was moving a bit more than Ethereum, but still wasn't doing a whole lot as we were we were trapped in that range between twenty five k and thirty one k. And then it all came a bit alive, not not just this week, but last week, there was that um kind of fake news story, right, that came out saying that the bit the ETF was done, and we and we jumped above thirty k and then it was denied, and we collapsed straight back down again. So the market kind of gave you a tell that the the ETF approval was not priced in. That there was a lot of buying to be done if it if it does get approved, and it kind of gave you a warning shot across the bow. So so you had a lot of options um, activity on the upside. People piled in, bought some upside in various expiries, uh, short dated expiries. And then when we got the um, we got the news that that BlackRock put their ticker up, and thought it was effectively a done deal. And there's talk of them seeding uh, seeding the ETF or something like that. Then um, we started to go again, and and also from a technical perspective, when we broke through that 31 and k area that's been kind of holding the market all year, then the next technical level was pretty much 34 k, and we went there in one shot. Um, and then it also triggered a load of liquidations from people who have been selling optionality systematically, making decent money for most of this year. A lot of those short gamma players got liquidated. Um, there's also some call cool overwriting strategies that get done in Ethereum and Bitcoin in pretty big size from, from like the minor types who want to mm. earn yield off, yield off their holdings. Uh, and a lot of those uh, flows were getting bought back as well. Um, so you just had a culmination of um, speculative call buying to chase that story, as well as buybacks of short positions.
3: Yeah, so I I love hearing the two combine because I think you get a much fuller explanation of what's going on, and this is always why we love to have Imran on because you know they're watching that part of the market. Same thing when we have Gem on, they're watching that part of the market that is sending all these signals. Imran, who who was shorting? I mean, you do a trade if it keeps paying you, you keep doing it until somebody pulls the rug, right? But th- who are the kind of people who are who are shorting Bitcoin? Who who who? And and are they likely to just put it back on again, or has or this sort of Shaking them out in a more substantial way.
1: So so you know, so the thing about trading options is is there's usually some sort of carry to harvest. So you you get implied vol versus realized vol. Normally implied vol trades a little bit of a premium. And the idea is if you sell gamma and you actively hedge your position. You can capture some time decay. And that's been a very successful strategy in crypto markets this year because they haven't really moved that much. And, and there is a little bit of risk premium in there with the implies trade higher. So people have every every single week people come and sell very short-dated optionality, and that's worked well for them. Problem is now with this sort of explosive move and, and going to new year-to-date highs, and there's just no stability, right? I mean, Ash even said we've pulled back three, four percent from the local high because they've removed the ticker now. So so we don't know where the next equilibrium point is going to be. So you kind of need the dust to settle for at least a week or two, for Bitcoin to establish its new range, pretty much tell us if that 31, 32K area is going to now act as support. And then we now have a new range of something like 32 to 36K. And once the market kind of feels that that is the new range, then you're probably going to see a bit more appetite come back to to sell short-dated optionality.
3: Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, By the way, I'm going to jump around a little bit, so stay with me, everybody. Microsoft stock is up 4%. Of course, they haven't done the call yet, so let's watch. That's been a game changer in some cases from that early reaction. Thank you, Iceman Oliver, is what they're calling him in the chat for that. Um, Ralph just put, um, (laughs) Ralph said, I think many people in this chat are the types to short Bitcoin. Thank you. Um, But he mentions um, something that I think it would be great to get your sense on. Um, Ash, let me just ask you first, though. Um, we had a lot of people kind of leave the crypto space because it just was sort of dead in the water, not moving, and, and you know everyone referred to it as crypto winter. I've got to think, just in the sort of, you know, the things that you're paying attention to, the chats out there, that this is going to sort of get the juices flowing again.
2: Well, it sure seems to have when you look at the price action, Maggie, and it's great to listen to Imran talk about this as a tactical perspective from the trader's perspective. I tend to look a little bit more long term, and there's some strategic indicators that there are some significant uh, tailwinds here pushing the space forward. Uh, you mentioned this a little bit earlier on the regulatory side, uh, legal, regulatory and compliance. Some. Cases coming out very favorable for the crypto space. Uh, Just last week, we had two favorable omens happen in the legal sphere. Uh, Number one, SEC dropping charges against some of the executives, uh, civil charges that have been filed against some of the executives at Ripple, uh, and perhaps more important, not making a key filing deadline to appeal a decision to oppose the new Bitcoin spot ETF. I know this stuff gets a little bit complicated, but big picture, Maggie, what this looks like uh, to people who watch the space uh, from a sort of 50,000-foot view is that there are regulatory tailwinds pushing the space forward. And as you point out, Maggie, uh, those of us who've been in this space have been through, I don't know, three, four crypto winters uh, for me. So you do see this volatility. Uh, You see these sort of periods of uh, interest and then periods where the enthusiasm and the cash flow ebbs.
3: Yeah, but when you've got that kind of return, very interesting. So um, Imran, Ralph's point was uh, Bitcoin options are still not super liquid. Is that something people need to think about?
1: well, it depends where you trade them, right? I mean, if you trade them on Deribit, which is a crypto native exchange, who do 90% of the market share, it trades in billions of dollars. So mm. there's a lot of liquidity there. But the problem is US investors are frozen out of Deribit. So they have to use things like proxies, like MicroStrategy, for example, is a decent Bitcoin proxy. It's got very high correlation. Obviously, they've got a load on their treasury. That's something I got some of my US clients into last week saying microstrategy call spreads were setting up well. So there are ways to access. I mean, the BITO ETF volumes have been increasing. The CME volumes have been increasing. They're, they're still not really comparable to Deribit. But there are ways to access crypto options liquidity. You just kind of need to know where to look.
3: Yeah, good stuff. And we've got an advisor in Canada, John, saying he's been he's been... Uh, recommending it. He thinks within the next year, he's going to see most R- RIAs in the US doing the same. So, really interesting peak. Maybe, Ash, uh, a perfect time because uh, from the feedback we had from clients, even in that, uh, and subscribers and parts of our community, even in that crypto winter, so many people were asking listen, I even if I got burned in the first round, I need to understand this more. I need to really sort of not just shoot from the hip and wrap my head around this. So, we're coming out with the Crypto Academy.
2: Yeah, we, we've we got an incredible community here uh, who's participating in this with us. And we want to just do some of the broad, big picture education pieces around this because it is so different from capital markets, from the technology side, from the way it trades. Uh, so we're doing that crypto academy to bring people up to speed who are interested. And by the way, I know this is Real Vision Daily Briefing. We don't want to get too into the weeds in crypto. But if you're interested in hearing more about this, come join us on Real Vision Crypto and Real Vision Crypto Pro.
3: Yeah, so um, we will... Uh we will be giving more information because you know even if you weren't in it before um I Imran I saw in your note you you were talking about some of the other things we're going to get to and you're like but for right now um the setups the place i want to be deploying my capitals in crypto so you you just look at it agnostically ag- across it looks like where you're seeing the best setups is that right
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Because I look at cross-asset vol and and whilst crypto was boring, it was boring. So there was nothing to do there. So like in my crypto weekly that I write every week, I was like, yep, no trades this week, no trades this week, nothing to do. And and then as we started to see crypto decorrelate from equities and equities were selling off and crypto was actually rallying, right? We saw end of last week, crypto was up three percent on Friday, and stocks were getting sold into, into the weekend and it was it was starting to show you a little bit of a sniff that this is where you want to be, sort of um, opportunistically putting some upside on. So that's what we did, and uh, and it and it basically paid off. So so it's good. But what was really interesting for me um, was on Monday when we were breaking out, uh, we took out thirty one k and we moved to thirty four k. The the call skew, which is the difference in call option vol versus put option vol peaked out earlier. It peaked out when we were first breaking. And then when we went to that new high, you actually saw it come down, which I found was a little bit fishy. It was like basically almost the options market saying, okay, the move's priced in now. And we kind of now are expecting some sort of pullback. Whereas if you look at Ethereum, which has been lagging Bitcoin massively, and you look at the Ethereum Bitcoin cross that's been trading down to June 22 lows. That skew has flipped aggressively to calls and it's stayed there. So the call skew in Ethereum has gone really big relative to Bitcoin, even though Bitcoin's led the rally. And that's kind of the options market's forward looking way of saying the ETF is kind of priced in now. Okay, maybe we're going to grind a little bit higher in Bitcoin. But the real focus now is is an Ethereum ETF going to come? And is Ethereum going to have this massive catch up trade? which the option market's starting to try to price in.
3: Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again, March the 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holds barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together.
3: Super interesting. I've got a couple questions coming through, but I, Ash, I know you've got to go do something else. So I'm going to cut you loose, but thank you so much. You could tell from the big smile on your face that you're super excited about all this. So we love it.
2: And always a pleasure to join you here, Maggie.
3: All right. Thanks so much. So Imran, um, Oliver has a question before we move on to tech, because I, I got to get to that, because it looked like maybe Google Alphabet disappointed. Uh, how much of this move do you feel is the expectation of the Bitcoin ETF? I think you just said uh, quite a bit of it was approval. Versus true investors in Bitcoin, and maybe it doesn't make a difference.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's crypto natives and it's speculators trying to front run the institutional flows that they expect to come when the approval actually happens. So, I don't think it is necessarily a lot of real money buying. I think it is people positioning ahead of that real money buying that's expected, and 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 they basically, you know, we're the closer we get to the approval, the more it gets priced in. So just like we had the fake news last week, priced a bit in, mm. consolidated, but ended up at a higher level. Now we've got this event, which again, isn't a done deal, but the market kind of thought it was. We've, we've ratcheted higher, we're going to consolidate, but we're probably going to consolidate at a higher level. So every time we get one of these type of events, we price it in more and more. But ultimately, where we end up who knows, right? Maybe we'll push as far as 40K. That's what some people are calling for. I, I couldn't tell you. But but the idea is that will be the crypto market pricing it in early. And then over the course of the next God knows how long, year or two, as institutional money comes in via these new vehicles, that will then support those flows. And you know, the speculators will at some point take profit on that and get out of it
3: yeah, going to find a, a a different kind of trade. So I think this is so interesting. And again, I think this really reinforces why we all need to sort of make sure that we understand what's happening here. Um, And it's not just a sort of siloed world, which, you know, we feel really strongly about on the education side of it. So again, um, if you are an RV member, you know what to do to get to the academy. So now it's just going to be, crypto is going to be part of that. There's a series that Artur and everyone is working on. Uh, The first is already dropped with Rao, sort of setting it up. Um, The others will be coming out. Um, If you are not an RV member, Remember, this is usually you have to be to access the academy. This we're opening up for everyone to be able to access. You've got to go through the sign up process. Um, but there's a way for you to be able to come aboard on this. Um, and who knows, maybe you'll end up an RV subscriber, but for, to make sure everyone's armed with the knowledge and We don't have a repeat of people just gunning in, chasing speculation and not really understanding what's going on. Um, Everyone feels really strongly about it. So super excited. You could go to our website and Brian will put the links in all over the place so that you can find it. Um, So Imran, uh, Paul asking, and this is the kind of thing I think this time around, we're going to get. A little bit more nuanced here. What position size do you recommend to your clients? We're talking about now a time when people are really rethinking about what diversifying portfolios mean. Everyone who comes on keeps talking about how 60-40 is broken. We need to rethink that, and so there's lots of options that are being considered. Of course, digital is just one of them. But what do you? Can you even answer that without knowing more specifics about the risk and the client? Yeah, Probably I mean, not, it's,
1: right? it's a dangerous. Question to answer because we don't give financial advice, right? We we give education, we give examples of what we're doing with our own capital. Um, so really, you, you know, it's it's going to be personal preference, right? But like as an example of what I do, you know, I, I run an options portfolio cross asset, and you know, we layered on some some call spreads in MicroStrategy last week, and and we sized it in a way where it, you know the delta exposure we had uh, to MicroStrategy was in the Five to eight percent range. So it wasn't massive, right? Um, but because MicroStrategy then rallied 30%, I mean, we made 200 basis points in three days. So we got we got very lucky with our timing, but that's the idea, you know. You you gotta know, and, and in terms of how much premium we spent, you know, we sized it out to January expiry, we spent like 150 basis points of premium. And, and so we were we had made peace with the idea of how much that could lose us in the next sort of three months, right? So you if you're using options, it's 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 a lot easier and safer because. You kind of know what you're spending. You know the duration of the options, and and you know how they're going to bleed away if nothing happens, and uh, and you know what your max losses are. So I always like to use options for high octane type trades, like like micro strategy that can move ridiculous amounts. Um, but yeah, outside of that, the whole sizing question is a very broad question, and it really does depend on everyone's individual circumstances.
3: Yeah. I like that you said that though, because we just had somebody say, this is all, this is now going to be about risk management, right? It's never been more important. The idea that you, you know, you have to sort of have that constantly, just given the backdrop that we're operating in. I mean, I mentioned the Academy, of course, Imran is a big presence on the Academy doing a whole thing on options. um, If you need more um, information on that. And um, you're also doing, you do live seminars and you're doing one this weekend. Is that right, Imran?
1: Yeah, we've got one of ours, uh, the intermediate live options course coming up on Saturday. Um, So we have different um, courses we do, beginner, intermediate, advanced. The intermediate is kind of getting in the weeds on the Greeks, uh, really kind of showing how options behave due to delta, gamma, vega, theta, et cetera, and then talking about some of those vol surface dynamics like skew and term structure that kind of give you some early indications sometimes in how a market might want to move and where the tail risk, the perception of tail risk lies, because that's kind of what SKU tells you, right? It's kind of Mm. the options market way of telling you what the perceived tail risk in an asset is. And when you see that thing switching from one side to the other, there's information in that.
3: We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, which is always, yeah, which is key and why we love having you guys on. Um, Brian will drop the info for that as well. Okay, so let's um, make the transition with this question. Is Bitcoin, let's do Bitcoin and ETH, some of the the bigger cryptos, are they still trading as a risk asset in lockstep with the NASDAQ or are they decorrelated now?
1: No, no, the correlation has dropped off massively this year. Um, It's been much more driven by crypto-specific news than than um, general macro. Um, for those who watch it regularly, it's very evident that that's the case. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it won't recouple at some point, but that's not been the main driver at all. It's been, it's been so anything about, yeah.
3: Super interesting. I think that's one of the interesting things for people in that space, right? Because it hadn't been the case, and that was really frustrating for people. So now that that's happening, I think that's going to be yeah. super interesting. So when we're looking at tech, um, what are your thoughts as we head into this heavy earnings period now, especially for megatech? We mentioned Microsoft and Google out um, after the close. It looks like uh, Google not as exciting to investors, but generally, how are you feeling about some of these big tech names?
1: Yeah, so I mean, for, for these two that were that were due today, there were implied moves of about four, four and a half percent in the options for this week. Um, and you know, to me, that felt a little bit low um, if you look at Tesla and Netflix last week, they were implying something like six percent and eight percent, and they ended up delivering eight percent and sixteen percent. so they they knocked it out of the park in terms of implied move. So I think because there's so much action in the um single stock option space, and there's so many so many large volumes going through, people are really like in they enjoy trading options on these sing, on these tech names, on these mega cap tech names mm. because it's in vogue right now. I think a lot of the moves are overshooting. So, mm-hmm. the fact that that was only a four handle, and if you look back at some of the past earnings moves on these names, 4% is not difficult for these names to do on earnings. So, I thought it was probably a bit cheap. Uh, but I also thought that, you know, if you look at earnings season so far, stocks are getting punished for misses much more. So you're seeing the average move when they miss is quite bad relative to past earnings seasons in recent history. So I thought the odds of a bigger move was probably if they miss and they're to the downside because mm-hmm. positioning is still there, right? People still do own these these mega cap techs, right? They've been they've been the place to hide. The Mag Seven has has led the market, so people do still own them to some extent. So if they were to miss then people might throw in the towel a bit and you see a bit of an exit out the door like you've seen in some of the other names that have missed so far in earnings. So my thoughts were probably cheap at the margin, just the implied move. But if we get a big move, it's likely to come on the downside.
3: Yeah. And we are seeing uh, Google down 5% um, (coughs) after its earnings report. How um, You sent over uh, you in your note there were some some great charts about market breadth it seems like you feel like the market even though the market's been pretty resilient that it's been holding up the equity market it sounds like you feel like some of the, some of what's happening underneath the hood is a little worrying
1: yeah i mean the market breadth is pretty dire it's kind of gone below if you look at percentage of names above their 200 day it's gone below the lows that we saw in may and in march um so that's not really a great sign but you know it, Often that market breadth indicator leads the market. And so we, we saw that roll over over the last couple of months. And the S&P has traded down. So the question is, is it kind of overdone now as it reached an extreme? And is it actually a contrarian indicator? Because it shows quite a lot of bearish sentiment across a, a broad spectrum of the market. And so there might be some risk of a bounce, right? We've seen CTAs turn sellers from buyers. We, we've seen bearish sentiment definitely has been picking up. I think it probably has got a little bit more room to go, uh, Mm. but it's getting close. Like, you know, I was looking to set up the books for a year-end rally. I but last week I de-risked the books because I could kind of sense things were a little bit precarious, and and the way yields were moving was a bit crazy, and, and rates vol was so high that I was like, really, a sustainable rally in equities is going to be hard to achieve unless rates vol comes down significantly
3: so the bond market very much still leading in your
1: mind yeah from a bold perspective i mean you've seen yields reverse from yesterday's intraday high above 5% on the 10 year to like 480 now and and ackman came out and said they've covered their bond shorts yeah. which kind of helps right <laughs> um so, but but really the, that hasn't helped tech that much i mean tech has had a bounce but i think you know people are kind of wanting to see how earnings play out and things like that so you want to, you need to see the other side of earnings you need to see that bond yields don't smash through 5 and go you know go to 6 in a hurry and things like that and also the middle east tension the middle east conflict needs to kind of deescalate a little bit which is not what it was looking like this weekend yeah
3: so is it fair to say that you're still trying to see whether there because it sounds like you say sentiment is is almost like overly bearish so you, so there's a potential for stocks to bounce but you need all this other stuff to calm down
1: Yeah, because you you can get a dead cat bounce off sentiment, but you're not going to get a sustainable year-end rally without this stuff going away. You need the clouds to clear, basically. So if you want to play a 100-point bounce in the S&P, be my guest, and you might get it off the oversold, like, bearish sentiment. But if you want to catch a move back to the highs, then that's only coming if these clouds can clear, I think.
3: Yeah, um, and, and is it not just that yields are coming down? Do you need to see the volatility calm down in treasuries?
1: 100%. Yeah, yeah, it's it's more about the volatility than it is anything else. If we settle in at higher yields, but but we just stabilize and do nothing for two months, the market will cheer that and probably rally. Interesting.
3: Um, you also were talking about nat gas, you're keeping an eye on nat gas. What do you see there? Because we get a lot of questions about that. Some of our uh viewers have been kind of yeah. wondering about what's happening there.
1: Yes, yeah, so it's interesting. So a lot of the commodities have flipped into core skew. So we've had, it's kind of been a rolling rally where you've had various breakouts going on, right? So you had, uranium had a massive breakout where it rallied 30% in a straight line. You then had NatGas have a good rally and threatened to do the same, but that got faded. Then you had the, obviously the oil breakout and you had gold with the massive rally for, in terms of geopolitical risk. So, all, all these, you know, all these skews are flipped towards a cool premium. Uh, the only one left behind really is copper, because it's not really got a safe haven bid, right? It's more industrial metal and cares about growth. Um, but Nat gas has stayed in cool premium, but it's retraced most of its rally because you know, production, LNG production out the US is pretty high, you know, and and the, the the temperatures and the demand just haven't really been there to drive it higher um but going into november you do often see positive seasonality so i think you know for those looking at the chart on natgas and wanting to kind of buy it at the low end of the range there is an opportunity here because they've crushed the short dated vol in natgas down into the mid 40s which is pretty low for natgas it doesn't normally trade that cheap uh, but it is realizing the mid 20 so that's why it's come down so much but really the interesting thing in natgas is the term structure is extremely steep So you've got 40 vol in the front end, but if you go out three months to January, you've got 70 vol. That's a really, really steep curve and quite an abnormally steep curve. So when you have curves like that, you can set up a position where you own shorter dated calls, close to the money calls, and then you sell out of the money, longer dated calls in a bit more size. And you essentially have what looks like a very, very cheap carry call option. So if the market does bounce, you're going to kick into some nice Greeks on your November options, your short-dated options, and your Jan's not going to do that much, and the vol's already so elevated, it might even come down. But if nothing happens, the theta bleed that you would normally experience owning short-dated options, you won't have that because you're earning that theta bleed back from the, the options that you're short in the back end because the curve is rolling so steeply down a very steep curve. It's a bit of a complex structure, but- just gives you an example of the type of stuff you can do using um, using options via via different maturities and strikes.
3: Right. So I'm going to um, we're all hanging on as we're listening. Um, I count myself in with that. But I think what's really important. But you did a great job explaining it. And I just want to remind everyone who's operating on the new platform. So you can stick a little marker here. You can go make a note of what Imran said. You can go back and look at the, you can ask AI for an explanation, the AI assistant. You can go back into the academy where Imran talks about this stuff um, and put it all together. So this is the beauty of what we're doing now. We can all sort of get smarter on this because this is the kind of risk management looking for opportunity that, people are going to need to do. Not to say that everyone should be jumping into options with two feet, but to be able to understand some of this, I think is going to be useful to people, or at least make sure your financial advisor is taking, you know, oper- taking, um, the opportunity on some of this stuff, or, or at least, you know, this comes up in conversation. That's what this is all about. So we appreciate you walking us through it Imran. So are you, where do you see the biggest opportunity right now?
1: It's oh, a good question. Um, I think I'm just trying to be a bit patient right now in terms of getting long stocks. Um, I think we're going through a corrective phase. It's not quite done yet. I, I, I'm Timing-wise, I'm looking for maybe early to mid-November, and then I'll probably be setting up some bullish trades. But the way to set up bullish trades in the high vol environment right now that we're in is probably via short VIX structures. right? So you know, that's the nice thing about going short VIX as a way of being bullish stocks. You don't actually even need a rally. You just need stocks to go sideways because then the vol can come down. So when vol is elevated, it is your better expression of the bullish trade to be short vol. And then when vol resets lower, let's call it VIX back to 12 to 15, then you can get into actual SP calls and 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 long delta trades right that we uh, as we call them but right now probably yeah the, the trade is probably going to be to fade the vix at some point i don't think it's here today i think you kind of want to wait for a bit more time to pass but that that's probably the uh, the clearest opportunity uh, that's coming up on my radar
3: fantastic stuff imran we always learn so much when you're with us we appreciate you always thanks no
1: thanks for having me it's great to be on
3: and remember, uh, you can, as I said, go dig into the Academy. And also, if you'd like and to ask more questions um, and get a little bit more detail about Imran just talked about, Brian dropped uh, the way to sign up for the weekend seminar he's doing. I love that you're talking about options on the weekend. Imran, you're a dedicated man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a reminder on our end, um, we have some really fantastic conversations hitting the platform this week around big technology trends. By the way, Microsoft profit of 27% Azure growth, wow. that AI is, is hitting their results. So you can be sure they're going to be asked a lot about that on the conference call. So, you know, this stuff is already showing up. So we have a conversation about all the next big technology trends, what you need to understand, how we can profit from it. Raoul and David Matten are going to join me on Friday for an AMA. So watch the shows, get your questions ready. You can DM me on the platform now ahead of time to try to beat the rush and see if I can get your question in. I did look last time. um, So go ahead and do that if you want. And of course, share your best drink recipes. I'll be gathering those as well. Um, and see if we can convince Rao. So uh, looking forward to it. But in the meantime, everybody, thanks for joining us today. Take care and good luck out there.
0: Thanks. Crypto is a very complicated space and it requires a lot of understanding, not only of the crypto markets, but how it fits into the broader macro landscape. These guys are about the best people to take you through that journey of knowledge. We'll spend the next few minutes Discussing and exploring the things that
2: you should be looking at to make sure you have a better grasp and a handle the drivers that affect crypto. Knowing how to trade these two is going to really protect your portfolio. The first thing to hear about here is that the risk profile is completely different. Make sure you're using those tools to your advantage to help you gain an edge in the uh, in the trading of NFTs.
0: I think it's an incredibly valuable learning for people to get your experience and your take from applying that traditional investing framework into this wild west of of crypto
2: what's up revolutionaries thanks for tuning in to the real vision daily briefing for more content like this head over to
0: realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best brightest and biggest names in finance